I'm excited. I'm excited because uh, I want them to know about Jesus. And this morning we're going to look at the story of Bartimaeus and he gets to know about Jesus. He encounters Jesus. There's really nothing better than to encounter Jesus, to come to know him because he is uh, our all in all. He's our Savior. He's our King. Um, so we're going to read this passage this morning uh, in Mark chapter 10, uh, start in verse 46 and read to verse 52, this wonderful story of Bartimaeus encountering the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray as we prepare to hear from God's Word. Lord, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for life in you. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing, Lord. There are many, uh, many people in our midst, and there are many people throughout this city who have encountered you and are encountering you. Uh, we're so grateful, and we thank you for this wonderful story here. I pray, Lord, as we go through this story, and as I teach from this story, I pray you'd stir our hearts, Lord, with gratitude. Stir our hearts with joy in you. Stir our hearts with your love, and stir our hearts to love others in your name. We thank you so much, Lord, for your living word. We ask that you would come, Holy Spirit, and change us, transform us as a result, and be glorified in it, we pray, our God. Amen. Amen. Please turn in your Bibles, or you can follow along in the overhead, uh, Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 46. Jesus is on his way, journeying to his last week in Jerusalem, and on his way he comes through the city of Jericho, and it says, and they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples in a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do? For you. And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. God's word from Mark chapter 10. This is a wonderful story. It's a story packed with drama. Uh, it's, it's one of the few places in scripture where the person who was healed is actually named with uh, some detail. It's a place where we, we see the person who's healed actually uh, some detail of who he is. There's, there's character development as the, the, we would call it in literature and film. We get to know Bartimaeus. We get to see who he is. And it's dramatic. We get to see Jesus. Jesus is actually, uh, this is one of the few places up to this point where he is named so clearly in his title, Son of David. In a bold and loud and public way. There are, there are these two main characters in the story. And they are presented very dramatically. And they're presented dramatically so we would draw lessons. So we would learn things from them. So that we would learn really two things. One is 
We would learn about the wonder of Jesus Christ and who he is and what that means. And secondly, we would learn about what it looks like to encounter Christ, what it looks like to be transformed by him, to be touched by him. So we're going to take time. We're going to walk through the passage. We're going to learn some lessons. We're going to apply those lessons. And we're going to see really uh, this bottom line lesson that desperate people who cry out to King Jesus find new life. Desperate people who cry out to King Jesus find new life. I think you have notes to follow along if you'd like to take notes. First point is desperate people. The scene here is outside of Jericho. They are on their way from the northern part of Galilee, uh, the the province of Galilee, down to Jerusalem, and they would have journeyed down uh, on the east side of that territory and come to Jericho. And then at Jericho, they would take a hard right and and walk up uh, in altitude towards Jerusalem. Jericho was a key city. And it was uh, a place that would have been full of pilgrims at this point making their way to Jerusalem for the Passover. And as they're making their way, Jesus is making his way there with his disciples. It's a great crowd. It's a big crowd of people. And Bartimaeus is there. He's sitting by the roadside. What's he doing by the roadside? Actually, he's in a prime spot for him because this is a a fairly busy area. People walking from Jericho to Jerusalem. And he's blind. And in that day, if you were blind, and you, you, you wouldn't be able to work, and if you didn't have family support, you begged. That's how you got by. You asked people to be generous and merciful. And it actually was a, a normal part of their life and culture, and it was actually a normal part of devotion to God and being godly people to give to beggars. It's a little different than perhaps today. Um, it would have been a very normal thing for those who were needy to beg on the street. And so Bartimaeus is there. He's in a prime spot. This is a good spot if you want to beg. There's pilgrims going to Jerusalem. They're feeling good. Uh, They're feeling good about life. They're feeling good about loving God, perhaps, and worshiping. And so they would want to express that by giving alms to the needy. So that's what Bartimaeus is doing. So he's sitting there. He probably did it every day. Um, We don't know the whole story of his life. He he, uh, we know he's blind. We know he can't see it. It seems like he, could, he was able to see at some point because he talks about restoring his sight and so forth. But we don't know for sure. We know at this point, though, he is, he's, he's blind. And this large crowd is passing by. And somehow Bartimaeus finds out what's going on. Maybe he asks, what, what's going on? What's all the noise? What's happening? Or maybe he hears the conversation going on amidst the crowd. And somehow in the process, as he's sitting there, he finds out that in the midst of this crowd is Jesus of Nazareth. That this is no ordinary crowd. This is a crowd that contains this famous healing prophet whose reputation went before him. Jesus of Nazareth. And at that moment, something goes on inside of Bartimaeus. All the stories he's heard kind of come to light. Maybe Bartimaeus probably had grown up hearing the scriptures and learning about the promised Messiah. And, and he's there, and something goes on in his heart at that moment. We, we don't know the details, but we know that Jesus calls it faith. That there's faith in Bartimaeus. There's faith inside of him. There's the uh, understanding and the embracing of who Jesus is at this moment. Faith is not just understanding, it's also embracing. It's saying, I believe this is true and I want it for my life. Something goes on inside of his heart. 
And he realizes that this is his moment to cry out to God, to cry out for mercy. This is his moment. He's encountering Jesus. And he's no ordinary prophet. He's not just a healing prophet. There were other healing of prophets in Scripture. Elijah and Elisha. There were other healing prophets, but this is not just any healing prophet. This is the prophet. And so Bartimaeus calls him by his title, Son of David. Son of David. What does he mean by that, Son of David? Well, David was the great king over God's people in the Old Testament. He was a great king. And he uh, was a picture, really, of the perfect king, as as imperfect as he was. And God actually promised to David to do some wonderful things through him. And so Bartimaeus was, was realizing this. He was realizing that this is the king. This is not only the healing prophet, but this is the king. This is the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ, who has come to bring the kingdom of God. That's all going on. We... We don't know the details, we don't know to what degree, but we know enough was going on that there was faith. And he called Jesus not prophet from Nazareth, have mercy on me, but son of David, the king, the Messiah, have mercy on me. And so that faith inside of him, realizing it's his moment to cry out, and perhaps find healing from the Messiah that wells up inside of him and amidst the din of the crowd, probably sitting on the ground, you hear a voice cry out loudly, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. He cries out for mercy. And it's interesting, the reaction of of the crowd, probably the disciples as well, they, they don't want him to be saying that. We don't know all the reasons why. Part of it is probably because there's, up to this point, really hasn't been anybody who's declaring who he is in such a loud, bold way. He's yelling out, Son of David, you are the Messiah, you are the promised King, basically. That's what's implied in saying Son of David. It's loud. It's interrupting what they're doing. They're on their way to, they're on their way to Jerusalem. This is, this is the... the the climax, the, the peak of the story of the Messiah. They, they're going to Jerusalem and he's going to present himself in Jerusalem. This is his moment. They're on their way. That's, that's what the, this journey is about for them. And there's this desperate vagabond making a scene here. Yelling out and refusing to be silent. And, and so they say, they tell him to be silent. It says, many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. To put that in modern day vernacular, everyone told him, just shut up. Quiet. And I love, I love what Bartimaeus does. I can, I can see him. People tell him, shut up, stop it. Quiet. Bartimaeus kind of looks at them and is undeterred. Son of David, have mercy on me, he cries out. He will not Stop asking. Because God has worked in his heart faith. And he's desperate. He lives in blindness. He lives in poverty. 
And the answer is right there in front of him. So he will not be deterred by convention. He will not be deterred by others telling him to be quiet. I'm sure the disciples were thinking that somebody grab a turban and gag this guy. But he won't stop. It says as he gets a positive response from Christ. We'll talk a little bit about that in a few minutes. It says in verse 50, And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up, coming to Jesus. Coming to Jesus really as fast as a blind man could. He springs up, he throws off his cloak, he runs to Jesus. It's a wonderful picture. It's dramatic. And Mark has communicated it in that way. He wants us to enter into the drama of what goes on with Bartimaeus. And it's not without purpose. It's not just so we could be entertained by imagining the scene. When Scripture uses words and when Scripture is like this, it's dramatic. And, and, and we'll be moving on in Mark to the Passion Week. And the Passion Week, it slows down and it's very descriptive. And that's not without purpose. That's because Mark and really God through Mark are saying, pay attention. Pay attention here. Pay attention to the story of Bartimaeus and Jesus. That's what this drama is here. Four, and there's a lot of lessons to learn. But the lesson here is that we would not mistake what it looks like, how, it, how Bartimaeus feels about his need to be healed, how he feels about his hope in Jesus. Bartimaeus, in some ways, is a picture of what every disciple should look like. Desperate for Jesus hopeful in Jesus, running to Jesus with enthusiasm, undeterred. He's a picture and a model for all disciples. This picture of Bartimaeus, actually, I, as I studied it, and, and even now, just as we read it again, was reminded of another man I know who was just as eager in his newfound faith and showed it. Leo Harrington. I think we have a picture. There it is. Maureen's late husband. He grew up in an abusive household. Had only known an aberrant version of Christianity known as Jehovah's Witnesses. Had a very difficult life. And in his late 60s, God began to draw him through the encouragement of his wife, through the ministry of Pastor Alex Burgess from Ward Hill Church, and through the Alpha Course. We did an Alpha course in combination in partnership with Ward Hill Church and with Pastor Alex and Maureen and Leo attended. And through that class, he began, God began to draw Leo. And what had been a hard heart and a skeptical heart started to soften. And there was, God was at work. And at some point, Leo actually started attending here with Maureen. And at some point, uh, God worked and gave Leo that same faith we see in Bartimaeus. And Leo put his trust in Christ. He trusted in Christ as his Savior for his sin, the, the one who had died to pay for his sin so he could be forgiven and accepted and made a member of the family he never really knew. And, and Leo was like Bartimaeus. He was just full of gratitude and enthusiasm. He used to sit right here and he would be uh, giving all his attention on Sunday. Come up right afterwards and want to talk. Taking notes, yes. 
I remember his baptism vividly. I'll never forget it. That, that picture is actually at the reception after the baptism. Um, Leo was so excited to be baptized as the picture of his new life in Christ. He was like a 10-year-old boy at Disney World at his baptism. He was so excited, and he came up on stage, and he was just, and, and some po- at some point, I don't know, he maybe just was thinking, this is, this is like you know, going to the ocean or jumping in a pool. He actually, he took his shirt off and basically just about jumped inside the baptismal <laughs> to be baptized. And I didn't mind at all, and all of us who were there didn't mind at all because, because of what God was doing in his heart. And it was a wonderful privilege to baptize Leo. And we had him for a while. And it was like having Bartimaeus around. Just his heart. He struggled. Life was hard at times. and I don't want to paint a picture that's not accurate. But there was this faith in him. There was a desperation for Christ. And there was hope in who Christ was. And it showed. And really that sort of enthusiasm, that sort of gratitude, that sort of hope should characterize all disciples to some degree, yes, according to who we are and our personality and all that. All of us should be equally desperate for Christ, equally hopeful for Him to touch our lives, equally thankful for His work. Whether you were literally blind or had a dark, abusive past or grew up under the best circumstances and have the best health, we are all equally desperate for Christ to rescue us and keep us from blindness and evil. And therefore, Bartimaeus is a wonderful example for all of us. So let me pause and ask you some questions in line with Bartimaeus' example. Does your life show the same sort of desperateness and enthusiasm that Bartimaeus' life shows. Do, you have, do others have to tell you ever to tone down your enthusiasm or are you never in danger of that? Are you more expressive in other contexts? Maybe when you're angry or frustrated than when you are in worship or remembering Christ. Are you more expressive at your children's sporting events, or watching the World Cup, then in worship on Sunday? If so, why? Nothing wrong with being expressive elsewhere. Don't hear me wrongly. We are expressive people, and it's okay to be expressive elsewhere. But why expressive there, but not here? What are the reasons? I think we're to be like Bartimaeus. We are to be expressive. We are to be Calling out in thanksgiving. Calling out in prayer. And I think the truth of Christ and our desperate condition without Him warrants a lot more desperation and a lot more enthusiastic prayer and worship and thanksgiving and rejoicing than anything else that we might do or experience. So what do you do? What do you do if that's you? Well, ask the Lord to change you. Ask the Lord to help you. Ask the Lord to help you see your desperate condition without Him. Ask Him to help you have eyes to see how much you need Him and how good He's been. Ask Him to give you eyes to see how kind and merciful and humble and loving He is. Ask Him to overcome your fear of man. 
and the inhibitions of a culture that will celebrate sports but mock faith. Ask them to give your heart like Bartimaeus, to fill it with desperate dependence and deep abiding gratitude and joy. And he will be glad to answer that sort of prayer. You see, it's all grounded in who Christ is. What goes on in Bartimaeus is not just that he has faith in something. When Jesus says, your faith has made you well, he doesn't mean your faith alone. You just felt good, and therefore somehow you had a psychosomatic healing. That's not what he means. It's his faith in Jesus that makes him well. That's implied. It's his faith in Christ And Jesus is the object of our faith. It's because Jesus was walking along the road from Jericho to Jerusalem. And and something went on inside of Bartimaeus where there was a revelation of who Jesus was and is. That changed him. That's That's what motivated him to cry out. That's what motivated him to rejoice after his healing. That's what motivated him to run to Jesus, who Jesus is. As Pastor Timothy Keller says, it's not the strength of your faith but the object of your faith that actually saves you. It's not the strength of your faith. It's the object. Our focus shouldn't be on the strength of our faith. We should not be focusing and thinking, I just need more faith. No, you need more Jesus. If you get more Jesus, you'll have more faith. If you see more of who he is and more of who you are without him, there'll be greater faith. If you see more of his wondrous promises for you, given freely in amazing love, If you experience more of the Holy Spirit taking those truths and touching your heart, you'll have more faith. It's Christ who is the object. Bartimaeus gets that. And so he cries out, Son of David, have mercy on me. He is crying out to King Jesus, the promised one, the promised king. There's lots of scriptures actually that talk about this. One is Isaiah 9, 6-7. I think we have that to show. Bartimaeus probably knew this scripture and he knew the stories about Jesus as prophet and as the prophet. Isaiah 9, 67 talks about Christ. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace. There will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty shall accomplish this. This is Jesus, the son of David. This is who Bartimaeus is placing his faith in. And it's wonderful to watch what King Jesus does. He hears the cries, and everyone's telling Bartimaeus, Quiet! Shut up! Stop it! And it says in verse 49, And Jesus stopped. And Jesus stopped. Isn't that great? Jesus stops. Everyone else is telling Bartimaeus to shut up. Everyone else is trying to move on. But Jesus stops. He stops to help. He stops and he sends for Bartimaeus. This is, this is Jesus. This is God in the flesh. This is Almighty God, the Holy One, who made all things. The most important one in the whole universe. The all-powerful God. And He stops. 
He stops for Bartimaeus. He stops for the desperate. He stops to pay attention to Bartimaeus. He stops for us. And that's implied in this story. This story is preserved for us so we would recognize, see ourselves in Bartimaeus and see who Jesus is, not only for Bartimaeus, but for us. Jesus stops. Stops to have mercy. Stops to love. Stops to care. And then what does he do? He stops. He calls for Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus leaps up, throws off his cloak, makes his way as fast as he can to Jesus. And then Jesus says something really remarkable. This is God, the Almighty God, to lowly Bartimaeus. He says, what do you want me to do for you? What can I do for you, Bartimaeus? He gives Bartimaeus a a gift in this question. What do you want me to do for you? What can I do? This is amazing. This is, this is who God is. And it shouldn't be lost on us. This is Almighty God saying to stopping for Bartimaeus. Everyone else wants to forget Bartimaeus. Jesus doesn't. And he says, what can I do for you? How can I help you? How can I, can, how can I somehow meet a need in your life? This is God, the Almighty condescending in amazing kindness and humility and love, saying to Bartimaeus, how can I help you? That's who God is. That's what he's like. Think about it. Think about how amazing that is. Are you guys aware of the Make-A-Wish Foundation? Have you ever heard of Make-A-Wish Foundation? It's a foundation, a charity that is for children that have serious illnesses. And they make a wish for something and then they basically... Make that wish come true. There's a lot of wonderful stories in Make-A-Wish Foundation. um, Some of the stories, the kids want to meet sports heroes or celebrities or or, uh, movie stars, rock stars. There's all sorts of celebrities they want to meet. And I know actually um, the the New England Patriots are involved with this. Tom Brady uh, has done this. There was a guy named Eduardo Martinez, and his wish was to be part of the Patriots. So they gave him two days with the Patriots. He got to practice with the Patriots. He got to... Um, wear the uniform. He got, got just a, a lot of face time with Tom Brady. Lots of cool gear. And he got to, uh, actually, they, he got to run a touchdown with them. and just had a great time. And, and I think it's great. I think that's wonderful. Matter of fact, I'd like to be able to do that at some point. <laughs> um, that would be really cool. Uh, and it's it just wonderful. I think it's great that Tom Brady and other celebrities do that. That famous people would care so much. But that's nothing compared to this. That's nothing compared to this. This is, this is God's Make-A-Wish foundation right here. This is God's Make-A-Wish foundation. He is stopping for Bartimaeus and saying, what can I do for you? What can God Almighty do for you, Bartimaeus? Bartimaeus gets to make a wish. Jesus stops for him. And this is recorded for us so that we would understand this is what God's like. This is God, the greatest celebrity of all. Slowing down and stopping for us. This is God caring for the lowly. And if you know the rest of the story, this isn't the the end of it. Because not only does Jesus stop for Bartimaeus in this story to help him, God Almighty, but Jesus stops at the cross for all his people. He stops at the cross. For all his people, the greatest celebrity, the one who didn't have to do any of this, gave 
His very life on the cross. His holy, perfect life. His life that deserved all the riches, all the rewards that God could ever give. His life that deserved to inherit the kingdom in every way. He took that life and he brought it and offered it on the cross to pay for sins of his beloved people. He gave himself for you. He did far more than any celebrity ever would do. And he did it for you. He stopped for you. He stopped at the cross. And he died for your sins. So you could be forgiven. Should you trust in him? And you could be clean. And you could be accepted into his family. And get his inheritance. All the things that he deserves. You get in him. All you need to do is turn from relying on yourself and turn from defining life your way to turn from sin and say, Jesus, I want you. I want in on this. I, I turn and I trust you, your death, your life. He rose again on the third day, guaranteeing his promise for us. The most amazing make-a-wish story we could ever think of. And it's all true. And it's all here. Demonstrated in the life of Bartimaeus. Demonstrated in Scripture. So in light of the wonder of this, in light of who God is, and in light of His graciousness and mercy and kindness, in light of how He stops for Bartimaeus and says, what can I do for you? Let me ask you a couple questions. First, is this your Jesus? Is this your Jesus? Is this the Jesus you know? That he stops for you. And he cares for you. And he wants to do the very best for you. Is this your Jesus? Or do you live day to day with a different Jesus? One that is constantly there saying, you know, you're not measuring up today. I got, you got to do this first. No, you messed up yesterday. No. No, you've got to meet the standard. You've got to do more activity. You've got to be more sincere. You've got to work harder. Is that your Jesus? Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus is good, and he wants us to be good like him. But his prime orientation towards you is not that. When he looks at his people, he is full. God, actually the triune God, is full of grace and mercy. And he stops for you and says, what can I do for you? That's grace. That's undeserved, unmerited. And it's really an insult to say, well, Jesus, let me first do some things for you. Let me earn your favor. Let me earn that sort of request. I've got to be good enough. I've got to reach some level of holiness before I can deserve such grace. That's an insult because you'll never come close. And he has provided for all of grace and blessing and the inheritance of the kingdom through his righteous life. He alone is righteous. He alone obeyed all of God's commands and fulfilled the law. He alone offered that life on the cross for you and rose again for your sake and the glory of the Father. And he wants you to receive just as Bartimaeus did. And he wants you to live that way every day. He wants your first and foremost orientation to be looking to him like Bartimaeus did. And then rejoicing in him as Bartimaeus did. So is this your Jesus? I think sometimes we, we can err. We can make mistakes related to this. We can see what's called the prosperity gospel over here. 
And the prosperity gospel is a false gospel that says basically it's all about getting all the money and health you could ever want. Jesus came and died so that you could get these things. Now, just through being strong enough in your faith. That's called the prosperity gospel. And we say, no, that's, that's wrong. And it is wrong. Because at the core of the gospel is, is dying to ourselves and finding our life in Jesus. And finding in him that he's our all in all. And we don't need necessarily to have riches or health because we have him. So there's a, there should be a willingness to give those things up. And that, that's true. Now, the eternal kingdom, when Jesus restores all things, we will have all the health and material wealth we could ever imagine. But, but you know what? That won't matter as much as the one who supplies it all. And all the enjoyment of all those things will be to him. Joy in him. So we can look at the prosperity gospel and say, no, no. And we can swing the other way to what I call the poverty gospel. The poverty gospel says this, that, that, the, that to be truly holy, you've got to be poor. And the poorer, the better. The more trials, the better, and so forth. That poverty is, is the goal. As a matter of fact, it's not good to have stuff. It's, it, you're a second-class citizen, perhaps. The poverty gospel. And it's equally a heresy. It's equally a heresy. Prosperity gospel on one side, poverty gospel on the other. So it's all about poverty. That's not what Scripture teaches. Actually, we have a couple, a couple of verses I can show you in 1 Timothy where Paul deals with this. There are those who are promoting the poverty gospel, and he has some strong words for them. If we could project that, 1 Timothy 4, 1-4. Listen to how he describes those who are promoting the poverty gospel. It says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, to the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving. By those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. And then 1 Timothy 6 says, As for the rich in the present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. God doesn't look at us and say the poorer the better. He knows how to measure prosperity and poverty in just the right measure for our lives to work good, but he never wants us to despise things. First Timothy 4 basically says that's a demonic teaching, to say that abstinence, to not have things, is better. Because God has made things for our enjoyment. He's made things so that we would, in the experience of those things, worship him, thank him, God is not a spirit that doesn't care about, care about the material things. That's an unbiblical. comes from probably Platonic uh, Greek philosophy. It's not what God's like. He loves blessing us with things that we might enjoy them and worship God through them. All the while realizing that he is the greatest thing, greatest being we could ever know, and finding our joy in that. I hope that makes sense. And I, and I talk about that briefly because... Sometimes when you hear about Jesus granting, graciously granting things like we see in Bartimaeus, we can spiritualize it. Say, well, it's only the spiritual things that I should ask for. No. 
God cares about the material things. He cares that you have a job. He cares that you have the food and clothing and housing that you need. He even wants you to have things to enjoy. He'll measure it out as what's best, but he wants us to ask. He wants us to see him as gracious, and we want to ask him for things and depend on him and celebrate his provision, and he does provide. So is this, the question originally, is this your Jesus, the one who stops for you and says what? Would you like me to do for you? Second thing I think of as I read this is that Jesus is a picture of God, but also the picture we see here is a call of God for us to be like Jesus. God wants to make us like Jesus. He wants to fill our hearts with, with grace and gratitude and faith. And he wants us to overflow in our love that we might love others like he does. And so there's an aspect here that we're to be like him. We're to stop and love others. We're to stop and care about the lowly. We're we're to live lives of stopping for people that might get ignored by everybody else. I heard a story in line with this. A uh, young and very successful executive named Josh had left work early after a successful day and was on his way across town to his favorite gym. He was traveling down an inner city street on his way, going a bit too fast in his brand new washed and waxed black Lexus LS with the music on loud. And he was watching carefully uh, for kids that might dart out between parked cars and slowed down when he thought he saw something. As his car passed that spot, no child darted out, but, but a brick came sailing out between the cars and whoomp, into the, the side door of his Lexus. He screeched the brakes, threw it in reverse, screeched back to the spot, jumped out of the car, grabbed the kid, pushed him up against a parked car and said, Who are you and what the bleep are you doing? That's my new Lexus. And the brick you threw is going to cost you, buddy, a lot of money. And the boy said, please, mister, please, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't know what, what else to do. I threw the brick because no one would stop. Tears were streaming down the boy's chin as he pointed around the parked car. It's my grandfather, mister. He fell and hit his head and he's not getting up. Would you please help me? Move beyond words, the young executive tried desperately to swallow the swelling lump in his throat. Straining, he lifted the old man into the back seat of the car next to his grandson and took them both to the local hospital. He stayed with them until early evening when the grandfather was checked out into the hospital with a concussion and a, but a good prognosis and until the boy's mom came to pick him up. It was a long walk back to his washed and waxed black shining Lexus with the new dent in the door as he thought about all that had gone on he never fixed the side door he kept the dent to remind himself not to go through life so fast that someone had to throw a brick to get his attention guys we live in a busy culture and if we're not careful and I think too often we are speeding around in our cars, and in our busy lives, unaware of the needs that God puts right in front of our faces. As personal 
invitations to be like him, to stop and love like Jesus. So let me ask you, who are the Bartimaeuses in your life crying out for help? Is there a neighbor? Is there a neglected neighbor in your neighborhood? A widow? A single mom? A couple in crisis? That are your Bartimaeus there? God's saying, would you stop? And love like I do. Would you be the means of my love to them? Who are the Bartimaeuses in your life? Maybe on the job. Maybe in Haverhill. Maybe in this church. Maybe there's a Bartimaeus sitting right here and it's your Bartimaeus. And you need to stop to love them. As we are affected by this story about by the amazing love of Christ stopping for us, let us stop and love like he does. Who are the Bartimaeuses in your life? If the band could come up as we close. As we stop, I know God is going to bring wonderful results. I'm, I'm excited about VBS because in some ways what we're doing in VBS, we're stopping And we're giving our attention to children and families who need to know the love of Christ. He will bring great results. The results in the story are fantastic. This encounter with Jesus leads to Bartimaeus' sight being restored. And where he was blind in darkness, now he sees a world full of colors, visual beauty, and a new beginning in his life. It's a totally new beginning, not just having his sight restored, but he now can be active and he follows with the rest of the crowd. He joins with the disciples on the way to Jerusalem. He finds new life, spiritual and physical healing, new friendships. It's a wonderful story. And you know what? The story hasn't stopped. The story goes on. Because there are Bartimaeuses throughout time all over the world in God's church. This church is full of Bartimaeuses with stories of encountering Jesus. There are, are Bartimaeuses who have known Christ for a long while. Talk to some of the people in our midst. Talk to John and Lisa Janelle, and they'll tell you the story of their encounter with God. Talk to my wife. Talk to Ken, Drury, and Sue. Boy, talk to Mark Sapers. He's, I don't know if he's here today. What a story Mark has of, of God's miraculous intervention in a devout Jewish young man who would not have turned to Christ if it hadn't been for the power of the Holy Spirit. And we keep on seeing more and more stories of Bartimaeus. God is at work in in and through us to do this work again and again. And so there's lots of Bartimaeuses who have recently encountered Christ or are encountering him in fresh ways. Talk to Leo's wife, Maureen, and hear how Jesus is working in her life as she's preparing to be baptized. Talk to Bruce Cohn. Talk to Lee and Kristen Piero. Talk to Ray and Cindy Montijo. Jesus continues to work. He continues to do the same thing in this story. He continues to do it and he wants to use us. Jesus responds to desperate people crying out to him. And they find in him healing and new life. So let us live today and this week. And and throughout our whole lives, in light of this 
amazing story. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray you would fill our hearts with gratitude, hope. Make us like Bartimaeus, O oh Lord. Desperate for you, but hopeful, finding in you our all in all. And then, Lord, make us like you. Make us like you to stop and love the Bartimaeus is all around us. And Lord, would you bring in a harvest of Bartimaeus through us? Please, Lord. Please, O oh Lord. Use us. Bless us. Bring glory to your name.